Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the ACC championship game is behind us, and I'm guessing that didn't really go how you thought it was going to go. It certainly didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go. Yep, did not. Um, I was, uh, we'll get into specifics here in a minute. Uh, Notre Dame looked really good in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Then they didn't, yep. and that's pretty much, if you want a synopsis, that's that's kind of it, um, and you got to credit Clemson because... There were some things we mentioned in the preview, Joey. We talked about how Notre Dame did some things in the first matchup that were repeatable. And most of that discussion was surrounded around what was happening up front on both sides in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. And Clemson pretty much totally flipped that script, especially on the defensive side, where they were just absolutely dominant against Notre Dame's offensive line, which, you know, we said that was going to be the path for Clemson. So at least we got that part right. That was going to be the path for Clemson to kind of win and pull away. Because you and I didn't really know how this game was, you know, handicapped the way that it was with Clemson as a 10.5 point favorite with how Notre Dame looked and what they were able to do, Trevor Lawrence or not. But it turns out Trevor Lawrence is kind of a big deal. And it's not just in the passing game. Yep. Yeah, let's 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 start there. Um, so first off, we, we had two games that we previewed. And then Friday afternoon, we found out that Florida State Wake Forest is being canceled again for COVID reasons. Uh, I, I forget off the top of my head if it was Florida State or Wake Forest. But either way, that was probably a public service, Mike. I don't know that anybody really wanted to watch that game. So, right. uh, you know, good on them for not making that uh, a, a burden that we had to bear. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, Mike, the uh, the game we did get to watch, the number three Clemson Tigers 34, the number two Notre Dame Fighting Irish 10. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, this thing, it started out pretty close. Uh, Notre Dame was moving the ball. Uh, Clemson had an early turnover, and, and it really felt like there in the first quarter or so, Notre Dame was for real, and you tweeted as much. Uh, yeah. In a tweet that did not age really all that well, but, I, I mean, the way it was going was kind of reminiscent of this game that took place in South Bend. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame, first drive of the game, right? They, they get the ball, and they march up the field, convert on a few third downs, a field goal. I mean, a reasonable start against a really good team in Clemson, and Notre Dame then follows that up defensively by intercepting Trevor Lawrence. Now, I will note that, you know, Clemson was moving the football on Notre Dame's defense on that first drive. Lawrence throws a pass that gets tipped and picked off. And now you're like, okay, it's three to nothing, Notre Dame. They just force a stop defensively on the first drive of the game. And then I tweeted out ND is real when they're marching up the field and they have it first and goal and they're up three nothing. And I'm thinking, okay. Notre Dame puts it in the end zone. It is 10 to nothing in the ACC championship, like nine minutes in. And you're feeling pretty good about things if you're a Notre Dame fan. But then Jonathan Dora misses a chip shot, 24 yard field goal. That hurt. And then it kind of snowballed on Notre Dame. Clemson goes down the field. They, they score three plays, 88 yards. They hit that first big play of the game. Amari Rogers wide open. 
I mean, yeah, nobody yeah. within 15 yards of him busted coverage play for a touchdown. Yep. Notre Dame then kind of feels the pressure down seven to three. They go for it on fourth down and turn it over. They're fourth and three on Clemson's 28, which I guess after Jonathan Dora misses a field goal, you don't feel great about kicking in that situation. So you go for it. It doesn't work out. Clemson goes down, scores again. Okay. Now it's 14 to three. And you're like, all right, Notre Dame needs something offensively. Three and out. They punt. Clemson goes down, kicks a field goal. Big stop by Notre Dame there defensively because you're thinking this is really going to snowball. Notre Dame goes for it on fourth down on the following possession. See you later, right? Um, Then Clemson is in the position before halftime. They're up 17-3. to And you're thinking, okay, Notre Dame, just get to the locker room, right? Offensively, the last few drives haven't gone well. Things have kind of snowballed since that missed field goal late in the first quarter. Just get it to the locker room, down two touchdowns, and regroup and and try to get something going early in the second half. And gosh, Clemson's at like midfield with no timeouts and like twenty seconds to go. They're they're really just trying to get into field goal range to get maybe three more points, which you still might feel okay about if you're if you're Notre Dame. Right. I mean I mean, like you mentioned, right? They're around midfield. They're actually at Notre Dame's forty four yard line. So they they had just crossed into Notre Dame territory, but like you said, they're around midfield. It's fourth and one with twenty one seconds left in the half. 44-yard touchdown run by Travis Etienne on fourth down. Yeah. Ball game, Joey. Uh, 24-3 at halftime. Notre Dame, to their credit, they they forced a stop to start the second half. Um, Teams took a bunch of turns punting. I will give Notre Dame's defense a little bit of credit. I thought in the second half they responded well. But this game, in my opinion, got really out of hand in the second quarter for Notre Dame. You know, a couple busted busted coverage play on the Amari Rogers touchdown. You have a busted coverage play on the Travis Etienne touchdown run. And you had mistakes that you made on your side of the field too, right? You have the missed chip shot field goal. Then you're in Clemson territory, and you have about a 43, 44-yard field goal with Jonathan Dorr, who's been a bit up and down this year for Notre Dame in the kicking game. But, you know, you need to make those field goals, right? You need to take those points in a game of this magnitude. Um, Notre Dame, you know, rolls the dice a little bit. They go for it on fourth down, which I can't fully blame Brian Kelly after what he saw out of that early miss by Dorr, but... You know, you come away with no points on two drives there in Clemson territory where it's reasonable that at the very least Notre Dame should get two field goals there and they don't score at all. And then conversely, on the defensive side, you give up a few big plays. That's how things snowball against you in big games. Well, now, and, Mike, I was going to say, even to a bigger point, not only did you not get, get points on those, but you figure but with about 12 minutes left in the second quarter, Notre Dame has had the ball three times on offense. They have yep. had scoring opportunities defined as yes. – First down inside the 40-yard line. So they're at least in field goal range. Right. On all three of them, they failed to score touchdowns. Yep. Like, that is not a good way to beat Clemson, is if you can't cash those opportunities in and get seven instead of three. Right. One of the the things we mentioned when we recapped the game earlier this year in South Bend is that Notre Dame basically played a perfect game, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly what they needed to. Outside of that Ian Book fumble in the end zone, it was pretty much a perfect game for Notre Dame. Um, you know, you have a defensive touchdown that you're able, you know, those repeatable plays that we talked about, can Notre Dame do that? Probably not. And that's why they'll lose the game. That's what we said in this preview. Right. But neither one of us thought that this was going to snowball the way that it did. Yeah. The problem yeah. is that Clemson played a lot better, right? Um, defensively up front, they were awesome and they gave Notre Dame a hell of a time. And the best way I can describe this to you, Joey, and we were talking about a little bit before we hit record. The best way that I can describe this is that Clemson played Notre Dame 
and more of a base defense look in South Bend. Now, whether or not that was restricted by personnel, you know, not having uh, Skalski, not having uh, Tyler Davis up front, um, whether that was why they kind of looked at Notre Dame and kind of played that base look a lot, you know, maybe that was why that happened. Uh, but regardless, Clemson gave more respect to Notre Dame's offense in the second matchup, in my opinion, than the first one with how they manipulated a few things defensively and made it more difficult up front for Notre Dame's offensive line. Notre Dame's offensive line in the first half had a lot of success um, in, the, in that first matchup, but I think the reason why they didn't have as much success in the second matchup is because they didn't get those same looks that they were getting. And it, again, points to something you, you said on the preview where we're going to learn a lot about what Tommy Reese is as an offensive coordinator for Notre Dame. And does Brent Venables take him to school? I think we got our answer. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's what we were both talking about. It's like beating that team twice is exceptionally, exceptionally difficult. Um, right. I, that was kind of where, and so again, Mike, you, you ended up with three drives that don't get you any, uh, you had three scoring opportunities that got you a grand total of three points there to start the game. And then Mike, where I felt like this thing was really lost by Notre Dame and Notre Dame's offense in particular was, again, that, that turnover on downs happens with about 12 minutes left in the second quarter. And at that point, you're only down 7-3. to three. Right. The next five legit drives will throw out the end-of-half kneel down that happened. But the next five possessions for Notre Dame got them a grand total of three first downs, five punts, zero points. Yeah. And at that point... After those five drives, the next time they got the ball back, they were down thirty-four to ten, or they were yep. down thirty-four to three. Excuse me. Yep. Like it got away from them so quickly, and 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 part of it was that the offense couldn't stay on the field and keep keep the defense, you know, get them any rest. Like, it, so it it this thing, yeah, it just got out of hand. It got away from Notre Dame in a lot of ways. Um, I, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, you got some really interesting looks here. I, I was trying to figure out on on rewatch kind of what Venables was doing, and there was a lot of what you might call exotic looks or some disguised pressures where they were showing one thing before the snap and then doing something completely different after the snap. Yeah, and it seemed like that was causing Ian Book to hesitate and, and confusing maybe the offensive line to some degree. Uh, Clemson comes away from this game with six sacks on Ian Book for what that's worth. Ran for his life. I yeah. mean, he was running for his life the entire game. I was going to say, Book's passing numbers look pretty good until you consider that there's probably six more attempts on there that came away as sacks rather than passes. Uh, they, they they register as rushing attempts. Um, and speaking of which, I, I thought that was one of the other things that they did really well in this game. Clemson did as compared to what the, they played in South Bend was Ian Book was much more of a factor in the run game in South Bend. Yep. And and Clemson did not let that happen. They they Those did broken a, plays did not happen. Right. They they did a good job keeping him in the pocket, and, and even when he was able to leave the pocket, it, it was still, you know, you had somebody spying him to where he's trying to throw the ball down the field. Still, he's not able to get out in space and and run and move around a whole bunch. Um, there was only like one or two particular like successful runs I can think of from from Book during this whole game. Yep. Um, on the other side of the field, Mike, it was it was interesting watching Clemson because I, I I felt like as much as Clemson's defensive line kind of flipped the script here and, and owned the trenches against Notre Dame's offensive line in a lot of ways, I didn't really get the impression that Clemson's offensive line was able to flip the script that same way. Like Notre Dame was still causing them some issues up front. It just Clemson was able to to kind of get around it and, and work through it. 
and I'm, I'm really glad you and I agreed on that um, b- because when I watched it initially, right, when I'm watching the game live, I'm thinking, oh, my God, Clemson's offensive line, different animal, different beast. When I watched it again, right, I did a rewatch, I, I see that the difference that Trevor Lawrence makes in Clemson's running game is tangible, yep. right? And we thought that, but I don't think I personally gave enough credit to how impactful Trevor Lawrence is to Clemson running the football. Right. And he takes a lot of pressure off of Clemson's offensive line in the running game as much as he does in the passing game. We talked in the preview about, you know, Trevor Lawrence, his ability to hit on short passes and his ability to not be totally manipulated by opposing defenses coverages, right. And be more comfortable back there behind center than DJU was in the first matchup. And that would all be impactful, and that's something that you just know from experience and, and know by watching Clemson play. The thing I didn't necessarily expect was for Notre Dame's linebackers in particular to be so flat-footed so consistently for the entire game. So when I did the rewatch, especially on the running plays, you know, I looked at that fourth and one play that ETN broke, and I, I looked at several others, you know, the Trevor Lawrence touchdown run in the second half. Like, I looked at those plays, and I look at Notre Dame's linebackers, and they have you know, one of the most talented linebacker units in the country. And they were on their heels. And it wasn't, you know, in that first matchup, they were sold out on ETN, right? They're like, all right, we're going to sell out on ETN because DJU is not going to beat us in the running game. They were not worried about that in the first matchup. Against Trevor Lawrence, they were really worried about it. And what it led to was Notre Dame being a bit more slow to react in the running game against ETN. The RPO plays, the, the, um, the spread option plays that they run so well. Notre Dame was not as prepared defensively in this second matchup as they were in the first. And it was less about Clemson's offensive line dominating. Now, Clemson's offensive line did play much better. So mm-hmm. don't want to take any credit away from them. They did play much better than the first matchup, but it wasn't as dominant up front by Clemson's offensive line on the rewatch as it was when I watched the game live. I'm thinking, oh my God, Clemson's offensive line is just beating Notre Dame down. And I just didn't really get that impression when I did the rewatch. It, it just seemed like Trevor Lawrence and the respect they had to give him as a runner made all the difference in the world for Clemson and what they were able to do running the football and then, of course, passing it with their RPO game, which is the strength of their offense. I mean, Lawrence, we talked about Lawrence's issues. I, I wouldn't even call them issues. It's more of maybe even the receivers separating down the field. We talked about, you know, the problems that he's had connecting on downfield passes this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't an issue in this game because you had guys running wide open in the secondary because Notre Dame had such respect for Clemson's rushing attack respect that they didn't necessarily have in the first matchup outside of knowing ETN was a great back. So I give Clemson a lot of credit for the game plan. Obviously Trevor Lawrence is just, you know, (laughs) don't take that guy for granted. He's one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen. And he really did make an impact on this football game. And, um, I think that was the biggest difference in Clemson's offense from game one to game two. It sounds so stupid. It's like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, but it was in ways that maybe we didn't really understand or, or fully give him credit for going into this game. Yeah. And honestly, I, I would say a couple of the things that he, he does incredibly well or are the things that are going to make him so highly drafted. Um, the reason that he is a generational quarterback prospect going into the NFL. So keep in mind here too, Mike, again, as we're saying, Notre Dame was uh, was still giving Clemson fits up front, you know, and that offensive line was not having an easy time of it. Keep in mind, Notre Dame only sacked Trevor Lawrence twice in this game. Right. And so that was the other thing I was noticing was Trevor Lawrence just having this sixth sense of like where the pass rush is and when to get rid of the ball and, you know, when to climb up and step up in the pocket. 
like some of those just inherent like instinctual things that he was doing and has, has developed his ability to do like I felt like that was also making a pretty huge difference in this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's not like he was just super comfortable and had all day to throw. It was he was just dialed in and was able to get rid of the ball before other people were able to get to him. Like that was that right. was a large piece of it. I felt like. And for and for as as good as DJ Uyangalale was in the first matchup, right? There were some elements to it that you know we talked about. Even like the last the last drive in overtime of that first matchup, where you know. DJU doesn't feel the pressure, right? And he kind of scrambles outside the pocket maybe a bit earlier than he needed to, and he gets sacked, and, you know, we're sitting here saying, okay, that's the kind of thing that Trevor Lawrence is going to help a lot, mm-hmm. right? You know, maybe he bails out on the pocket a little, DJU bails out on the pocket a little bit too early. That's something that Trevor Lawrence is going to do. He's going to step up into the pocket and, and deliver a throw. That's what you were missing in the first matchup. Yeah, I don't think that's the reason why Clemson blows out Notre Dame, but it's a big reason why they had a hell of a lot more balance on offense and put Notre Dame on its heels. I mean, Clemson's offense in the first matchup, from a rushing standpoint, it wasn't even uh, the same conversation. I mean, Clemson runs for 219 yards in this game. They didn't even crack 100, I don't think, in that first matchup in South Bend. Yeah. Uh, this was a totally different offense from a balance standpoint. Trevor Lawrence did not throw for as many yards as DJU did. He threw for like 440 or whatever it was. In that first matchup, uh, Lawrence only threw for 322, but the offense was clicking on all cylinders in a way that didn't in the first matchup. And the reason why was because of Trevor Lawrence in the running game. And like you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence in the pocket on some of those passes that DJU, I I can't say he won't make those throws because he's going to for the next few years as he's Clemson's quarterback. But he didn't have the experience that Lawrence had, right? He he doesn't have that in-game experience, seeing all these looks from a really good Notre Dame defense to really have in the back of his mind as a data point. So that was really impactful. The other thing, too, I want to mention, um, you know, a lot has been made in this game. It's like, all right, Notre Dame can't compete with these top teams. Um, This isn't, you know, this isn't a team that's, you know, able to compete when Clemson's at full strength. I will say this. This was a 10.5-point spread, right? And if you think about some of Notre Dame's missed opportunities offensively in this game, right? Notre Dame has it first and goal inside Clemson's 10-yard line. They come away with zero points. Um, Notre Dame elects not to kick a field goal uh, when they have, you know, a, a, I don't know, 42-yard field goal, I think it was, with Dora, and they elect not to kick that field goal. I mean, that's that's 10 points right there you, you could have had, right? Um, you're talking 34 to 20 instead of, you know, 34 to 10. Um, and, and there are some opportunities there. Notre Dame's driving down the field. They have it fourth and three. They elect, you know, not to, not to kick again. Like, there were some opportunities Notre Dame had in Clemson territory in the first half, where if they come away with 10 to 13 points, especially if they come away with 13 points on the low end, it's 34-23, and you're a half point from covering the spread. So I don't think Vegas was as far off as we think they were. I mean, I, I thought they were far off, but maybe the opposite direction, where Notre Dame could have easily covered. I thought Notre Dame was going to easily cover this going in, and they obviously didn't play well, and Clemson played great, and that's yeah. why they were able to cover so easily. But I don't think the spread was necessarily as far off as the final score would indicate. I mean, Notre Dame had a lot of missed opportunities. I think that was the that was the story in this game. They couldn't capitalize, and then Clemson hit big play after big play after big play, something that they weren't doing consistently in that first matchup in South Bend. Yep. Yeah, no, that's completely true. And, and something I hadn't really thought about, you know, looking at the score. And I, I remember one of the things I, I was thinking as Notre Dame had the ball at the very end of the game, there's, I don't know, minute and a half left or whatever, and Notre Dame has the ball. They're down 34-10. to 10. And I remember thinking, Mike, 
this is a sneaky important drive for Notre Dame here because if you can go down and get seven, you're going to make the final score look a lot better than this game really truly played out. Right. And and, and Mike, that was kind of where I was going to go next is we, we got results, and, and as people probably know by now, both of these teams make the playoff. Uh, Clemson right. going to be the two seed. Notre Dame going to be the four seed. But let me let me ask you this. Coming out of this game, Mike, like how what was your confidence a maybe say a going into this game and b coming out of this game what was your confidence level that Notre Dame was going to make the playoff here uh well obviously much lower after losing the way that they did yeah um, i mean 34 being down 34 to 3 in the conference championship game against a team that you beat earlier in the year i don't care what the personnel situation was that's not a good look yeah um, regardless of what we say about you know Notre Dame had missed opportunities in the first half and Clemson hit a few big plays they didn't hit in that first game like Clemson's really good. Like you have to be competitive, right? Yeah. Um, so I didn't feel very good about it, but then I kind of looked, looked around, right? I took a look, you know, saw Texas A&M one, you know, beat Tennessee earlier in the day. It didn't really look that great doing it. Final score looks better than that game actually was, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, all right, well, if not Notre Dame, then who, right? Right. So in, in the back of my mind, after this Notre Dame game, you know, the Florida Alabama game had yet to be played. Now, Florida, this is where the conversation gets a little bit interesting, right? If Florida were to have beaten Alabama, I thought Florida played really well mm-hmm. uh, with two losses, right? And you just beat Alabama in the conference championship game. Even with even with that LSU loss, which was horrible, one of the worst power five losses. I went on my rant about one of the worst power five losses in the country this season, right? Yep. Um, even with that loss, maybe you can justify sneaking Florida in as the SEC champion two losses, right? Yeah. So I thought that was the true nightmare scenario for Notre Dame. You just get blown out against Clemson, and then Florida goes and beats Alabama because you're not kicking Alabama out of the playoff, right? They've been too dominant all year. So you're not kicking them out, and you're probably going to have a case for putting Florida in, right? Just on the basis of how they looked against Bama, you kind of forget about the LSU result the week prior. So that, I thought, was a nightmare scenario for Notre Dame. The other thing... A lot of talk about Texas A&M, whether or not they deserve to be in over Notre Dame. I thought where the committee could have actually had the discussion was around Texas A&M and Ohio State. And here's why, right? Do I think Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the country? Yes. Do I think that they were one of the most talented teams on paper coming into the year? Also, yes. When looking at Ohio State and the way that they played in six games this year, do they pass the eye test in the six games you watch saying they're definitely one of the four best teams? The answer is no. Not my eyes. They, they beat Indiana by a touchdown. They were losing to Northwestern in the second half, the Big Ten championship game. Justin Fields, the team's best player, and, and top five, you know, he's going to be a top five pick in the draft, looked very bad against the two best defenses they played in Indiana and Northwestern. Looked bad, yep. flat out bad. And he's a very, he's an excellent quarterback. Looked terrible in the, in the two games that he played um, against high level defensive competition. Yep. So he's not been having a good season so far. Right. And, and so that's, that's what I was a little bit frustrated with. I'm like, why is the discussion about A&M and, and Notre Dame and not A&M and Ohio State? Well, the reason why is because Notre Dame gets into big games. They get blown out. That's just the narrative now um, because of what they've done in the playoff, getting blown out by Clemson, what they just did on Saturday, getting blown out by Clemson. You know, you're so quick to forget what happened in the regular season when Notre Dame beats Clemson. But, hey, it was without Trevor Lawrence. So that's, you know, just pile it on. Mm-hmm. So I think the actual conversation should have been around A&M and Ohio State, but Ohio State was never not going to get in because Big Ten changes the rules. You know, the, they're able to play six games. At, you know, their sixth game being the Big Ten championship. Some, and some TV ratings. Right. 
I mean, the TV ratings are pretty big deal, right? <laughs> so they were never not going to get in. Um, so the discussion was inevitably around A&M and Notre Dame. Well, A&M's best win was against COVID-inflicted Florida in week three. Um, they won that game by a field goal. But again, if you're going to give Notre Dame credit for beating Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, you've got to give Florida credit for winning that game or Texas A&M for winning that game against Florida early in the year. I mean, it's got to be on an even playing field. You play the game, you win, right? Mm-hmm. So give them credit. They win that game. Their second best win is against Auburn, who finished the year six and four. Auburn was bad this year. A&M didn't have any other quality wins. Then you look at Notre Dame, and again, if you're going to give A&M credit for beating Florida, you have to give Notre Dame credit for beating Clemson. Okay, well, now the two best teams have a – their best win is a wash, right? You beat Clemson, you beat Florida. Okay, it's a wash. So who's the second best win? Well, Notre Dame beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill by two touchdowns. Yep. North Carolina going into yesterday was 15th in the college football playoff rankings. A&M's best win is against unranked Auburn. That's it. It's it done. Six and four and might have been sub 500 if not for a couple of uh, official uh, in, official aided wins, you know, like last exactly. second calls that should have gone against him. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I saw uh, Bud Elliott tweeted this out. He said, so you mean to tell me that Texas A&M has more wins against teams who fired their head coach than against uh, teams who have winning records? Yep. So, uh, yeah. It just wasn't wasn't a great resume for Texas A&M. If there was a fifth team that was actually worthy, and we can have the Cincinnati discussion because I, I like Cincinnati, but a group of five team is never getting in the playoff in the current format. And Cincinnati was a really good team this year. They went undefeated. But the, the minute that the committee had them at the back end of the top ten a couple weeks ago, they were out of the playoff. There was no way they were going to jump who they needed to jump to get in. So really the discussion was, is A&M's resume good enough? The answer was no. So the fact that Notre Dame got in did not, did not surprise me. I thought they would. I would have had more of a gripe if AM got in, just given their resume wasn't as good as Notre Dame's. If you're going to give AM credit for beating Florida, you have to give Notre Dame credit for beating Clemson without Trevor Lawrence because yeah. Florida mm-hmm. was ravaged, defensively especially, ravaged by COVID 19 positives and contact tracing in that first matchup. So, got to play them on equal playing field. Yeah, well, and and I mean, kind of what you're getting at is kind of where my my thought was is I, I mean, okay, so if not Notre Dame, then who? And and honestly, to some degree, I mean, both Notre Dame and Ohio State, like, I think we can kind of agree there's probably a pretty substantial decrease in talent, capability, performance from Alabama and Ohio State. Is that fair? I think that's fair. And and, and keep in mind that four or five days ago, we're on this here podcast talking about how Notre Dame can hang with Clemson and they are legit and they are real and all this stuff. But- National title contender. Sure, yeah. I mean, people talking about that like, defense differently than anybody else's defense in the playoff discussion, you know, all this stuff. But I, I think the one thing that really changed for me and, and the thing that had me questioning all this is if I'm on the committee, if <laughs> the committee, if I'm on the committee and I'm watching this game and I'm watching them play a Clemson team that now we know we're going to put in the playoff and we say, this is what Notre Dame is doing in December against a playoff caliber team. Why should they be in the playoff? Right. <laughs> Like, give somebody else a shot. Now, again, we right. saw A&M get the doors blown off by Alabama, and we know that Iowa State and Oklahoma have two losses. And, you know, it, this, it really just kind of felt like a year where I don't know there was necessarily even three teams that were, like, decidedly playoff-worthy when it's when all the right. chips are on the table. But, yeah, that was my, my, my concern was if this is what they are doing in their final showing, you know, is going up against a playoff team and losing by 24 points, you know, maybe make it look better, make it a 17-point loss. 
Right. Uh, thank God they did score that late touchdown. It would have been a 31 point loss, you know, whatever. Like that, that's the thing that would have, in my mind, kept them out is, yeah. I guess it tells us right now they can't hang with playoff caliber teams. So, yeah. And people are going to hear what you just said about, okay, I'm not sure there were even three playoff worthy teams this year. And people are going to say, then why do we expand? Well, you expand because a team like Cincinnati that goes undefeated in the group of five will never, you know, like you mentioned multiple times, Joey, they're eliminated before the season even kicks off, right? Mm-hmm. They're eliminated. They, they can't win a national championship. Only so what sport you do on by earth. Having, only sport right. on earth that does that. Right. So the only way that you remedy that is by expanding the playoff. Now, the best team is still going to be crowned, right? And that that's the thing, I, the issue I have. They're like, oh, well, what if the games are still blowouts? And what if... Yeah, the best team is still, you know, Alabama is still going to have a, a greater than 50% shot of winning the national championship every year. But what you do for a team like Cincinnati that has great facilities, a great winning culture, because they've had Brian Kelly and Tommy Tuberville for a minute, <laughs> and then they, they bring in Luke Fickle, who was a lot better. Um, you have a winning culture there. You have a, you know, a great program, good tradition, very good school. And you have a program that wins a lot of football games that never has an opportunity. And they recruit pretty well in Ohio, by the way. And this is a school that all of a sudden with playoff revenue, you know, that would bolster things. One, from a recruiting standpoint, something else you can throw on the, on the trail as a pitch. Number two, it just helps from an infrastructure standpoint. It elevates other teams across college football. You should want parity. Yeah. Um, it, we're to the point now where Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State from a roster standpoint. Now, Ohio State hasn't proven it on the field this year. We talked about that. In a normal year, when they're playing 12 games and you see their rosters, the three those three teams are playing a different sport right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I think you have to have the, the access. And I'm not saying let everybody in. I'm saying, you know, you get the fifth Power 5 team in, and the people who have argument, my, my whole argument is the 18 playoff, right? You have an 18 playoff, you have five Power 5 teams, you have a group of five champion who you know, in a normal year is probably going to be the AAC. And then if you have a second really good group of five team, make them an at-large, right? Have two at-larges to go along with your six conference winners. And that way, there's access, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in all likelihood, that eighth team is going to get dogged by Alabama or Clemson or Georgia or whoever the Ohio State, whoever the number one team is. But at least they got into the playoff and had a chance, right? We still play the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament, don't we? Yeah, we still play the one versus the 16 seed with a 40-point spread. So why aren't we doing that in football? Yeah, and because um, I know that Virginia fans are still listening to this podcast, shout out UMBC. They're the only ones that have ever done this. Like Exactly. And, exactly. and just because one seeds win this game by 30 points every year, every, you know, all four of them basically do, still let them play the game. Yeah, nobody thought that Jared Sabransky and Ian Johnson had a chance in the Fiesta Bowl with Boise State against Oklahoma. Nobody exactly. thought they had a chance. Exactly. Um, but that's why you play the games, right? And Cincinnati is a really good football team that probably doesn't have a, probably doesn't have a chance against Alabama or doesn't have a chance against Clemson. But they have a really good defense and they can move the football and might may as well give them a shot, right? Yeah. And, and give them a look. So I'm I'm pro expansion in that regard. And my whole argument for this too is like for those saying, well, the Pac-12 champion, you like may not have a good record well what if they win the conference with two losses or whatever look i'm not saying that you have to rank them like one through six with the six conference winners being the top six teams i'm not saying that rank them however you want i'd take cincinnati over oregon this year well yeah well if you're the eighth if you're the ninth best team in the country joey right and you're like bitching about not being eighth 
number one, you're either a group of five school that lost a game when you really, in reality, you got to win almost every game on your schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're a two-loss power five team that probably lost a game you weren't supposed to. So you're probably not going to have that great of an argument anyway to get into the top eight. So less at, less of an access issue. For those of you who are proponents of the 16 playoff, I don't like that because a 16 playoff would let in essentially all five power five champions and then an at-large. And the committee is always going to take a school like Notre Dame, as long as they're not in the conference, they're always going to take Notre Dame over Cincinnati. They're always going to take Notre Dame over UCF. They're always going to take Notre Dame over Coastal Carolina. So I don't think the 16 playoff works either. Um, so I, I think what you need to do, as long as Notre Dame's an independent, is go with an eight team and just kind of see where the chips fall. But that's my uh, that's my mini rant on that. Yeah. Hell, I'd be okay with it if Cincinnati, Coastal, San Jose State, and BYU or whatever wanted to take their ball and go home and go have their own little tournament. <laughs> Screw you guys. That'd be fine with me, too. We'll name our own national champion. Um, yeah. I'm all about It's an that. invitational right now. I mean, it's not a real playoff representative of the entire sport. It's an invitational right. for the best four Power 5 teams, which, I mean, that's fine, but don't market it as something different like you are right now. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention here, Mike, and it's something that probably just to keep an eye on. I don't know that it really necessarily makes a huge difference moving forward, but something to consider is in the fourth quarter of this game, uh, Clemson's safety, Nolan Turner, got thrown out of the game for targeting, meaning mm-hmm. he will now miss the first half of the semifinal game that they play against Ohio State. I, I mean, it, it's something for sure. I don't know if it makes a huge difference, but it something to kind of keep an eye on and it might become an issue in the first half of that game for Clemson. Really good player in the back end of the defense. So yep. Something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Clemson 34, Notre Dame 10. Uh, again, both teams end up in the college football playoff despite what, you know, people wanted or I've seen many of angry Facebook rant from like Georgia fans and stuff. So, you know, they really felt like Texas A&M should have been in, which gross. I don't know why you would think that. Uh, Mike, as a result, again, both these teams in the playoff, but uh, we got a full lineup of bowl destinations. Uh, I, well, quote-unquote full lineup, if uh, you want to go through those real quick. Yep. All right. Uh, again, number two, Clemson going to be playing number three, Ohio State, in the semifinal in the Sugar Bowl, uh, obviously in New Orleans. That'll be 8 o'clock Eastern on New Year's Day on ESPN. Notre Dame, number four, plays number one, Alabama, in the Rose Bowl, which has been moved to Dallas for COVID reasons. Uh, That'll be at 4 o'clock Eastern on ESPN on New Year's Day. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, we have the number 18 Miami Hurricanes taking on the number 21 Oklahoma State Cowboys on uh, December 29th, 5.30 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, The Wake Forest Steam and Deeks taking on the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, twelve thirty, or uh, excuse me, uh, December thirtieth at noon on ESPN in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, we have what else? We got number thirteen North Carolina taking on the number five Texas A and M Aggies in the Orange Bowl. That'll be January. Hope 2nd. you like points. That'll be fun. Uh, that should be a good one. Uh, eight o'clock on ESPN on January second, and then the number twenty three NC State Wolfpack taking on the Kentucky Wildcats in the Taxlayer Gator Bowl. Uh, that'll be at noon on January 2nd on ESPN. And, Mike, we'll, we'll come back and uh, preview all those games, certainly. But just wanted to go ahead and throw that out there. We have a whopping six bowl games this year. Uh, a lot of other opt-outs. Uh, I know both Virginia schools, 
Boston College, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech all opted out, and I think there were more too that, that kind of came out here over the last couple of weeks. So a bit of an abbreviated bowl season, but I, honestly I'm not sure that that's the worst thing in a year like this. Get it done, get out. And if you want to play in a bowl game, great. Go play in a bowl game, enjoy yourself, play well, be healthy, all that good stuff. But um, Get that gift get, suite. Get in, get out. Yeah, <laughs> get in, get out, be done. Uh, as we sit here recording here on Monday morning, um, if you're listening Monday afternoon, you're one of the early listeners to this podcast, uh, 2.30 p.m. today, Myrtle, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, App State, North Texas. So that's on TV. Like, bowl season is beginning literally today. Yeah. So get them in while you have them. Yeah. Yep, we are on uh, we are on limited time here for the uh, remainder of the college football season, but uh, s- several bowl games, yeah, here over the next couple of weeks, you know, running through uh, Christmas and New Year's, so uh, enjoy it while it lasts, for sure. Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else on ACC championship game, playoff rankings, bowl matchups, anything like that? I think we're good. Uh, the one thing I will mention, A&M in North Carolina, I mean, first one to 70 probably wins that game. I don't know. A&M has a way of like dragging games down into the mud and making teams look bad. I feel like if that game go, is, is turning into a shootout, I think that's a good thing for North Carolina. I think. Yeah. I mean, so is Jimbo Fisher. So yeah, drags <laughs> yeah. down. Make people look bad. That's well, yeah. Jimbo Fisher has opinions on a lot of things. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. We, we found that out the hard way. He's very mad that Texas A&M is not in the playoff to lose by 40 to Alabama. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't know if you saw this this morning either, Mike, but there was uh, some serious shade thrown from Clemson towards Ohio State as uh, Clemson's submission for the college, uh, the the final coaches poll had Ohio State at 11, which, A, no, Dabo Swinney is not the one sitting down at his computer filling that out. That would be usually just the media rep or whatever. But B, uh, is he wrong? Uh, well, I mean, goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Like... <laughs> Have they proven that they're the third best team? Uh, I don't know. Wait. I guess we'll find out. I don't I mean, know. This is going to be Clemson, Ohio State three as far as national semifinals go. I, I, I tend to think that Clemson, Ohio State two was far better than what we're going to get here, as it was definitely better than what we got in Clemson, Ohio State one. Right. Right, so, right. I agree. Maybe Clemson will finally be able to redeem themselves in the Sugar Bowl, exercise some demons of uh, the last time they were there and just got sat on by Alabama. So. Anyways, the Kelly Bryant days were uh, were quite a time. Mike, that's oh, all I got. Yes, I, I would, I I would say so. <laughs> People forget that he used to play quarterback. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Not that long ago either. Easy to forget. Mike, that's all I got. You want to get out of here and come back and preview some bowl games? Good recap, Joey. Thank you. I thought so too. Um, by the way. If you're still looking for like that last minute Christmas gift, and you're not going to get it by Christmas, but uh, you know, if you're still looking for something nice for the person in your life that you can then like give them a card and say, "Hey, you got something coming." Go check out homefieldapparel.com. Um, yes, premium yes. vintage collegiate licensed apparel. Uh, it is comfortable. It is great looking. I've got multiple shirts uh, that have shown up in the mail for me. Thankfully, I know that they've been having to fight with postage companies for uh, not keeping up their end of the bargain, but. They are uh, Homefield is absolutely working their tails off, and they've gotten a ton of demand. And thank you guys so much for your support uh, of not only this show, but of a, a great company with some great people out of Indianapolis. So uh, go check them out. Go ACC on your first uh, order for 20% off. Use that promo code. And uh, thanks again for your support. Yeah, uh, the only other thing I'll add is 
I probably haven't done a great job with these ad reads either of talking about how comfortable <laughs> their mm-hmm. clothes are. I mean, it's not just like sweet logos and sweet vintage apparel. I mean, freaking comfortable shirts and sweatshirts. I mean, they, they got great stuff. So absolutely. Like Joey said, go check it out. Several ACC teams already on there. If there's uh, one that you're not seeing on there that you want on there, such as Georgia Tech, uh, let you know schools like that, such as Georgia Tech, know. Let them hear about it. Ask the question, why? Why won't you work with Homefield Apparel? That's like mass marketing. Yeah, especially for some of these schools that have wonderful, wonderful vintage uh, imagery that could be included on these shirts. Um, you know, seems right. like a good thing that would to be doing. But you know, some schools don't really uh, don't really like to get out of their own way in uh, in marketing efforts. It turns out could be why anybody. You call them out right here. <laughs> yeah, why don't you just call them out on this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> like specifically Georgia Tech. Specifically, on Stansbury. Yeah, what uh, what the hell are we doing? Get it together. All right, Mike, now that's all I got. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Come find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel VT together. We're at BC Podcast ACC. Also at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram. Uh, send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Been a while since we got an email, so hit us up. You guys are off work. Send us your questions or whatever. We'll do a mailbag sometime yeah. soon. Um, yes. Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, all those good places. And you want to tell them where else they can find us in the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Also, home field apparel, 20% off. Go ACC to check out. Please do. Please do. Appreciate your all support of that. Uh, Mike, let's come back and start previewing some bowl games. How's that sound? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.